This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 27 with Jeff Berwick. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello everyone, MC Laubscher and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. When I started my podcast, there was a couple of things I wanted to be able to provide for my listeners. But one of the most important things was to bring you as many diverse viewpoints and ideas as possible. I personally have always tried to expose myself to ideas that challenge my thinking because I find that after I form my own opinion based on all the different pieces of information I consume, even if I don't agree with the other viewpoint, my knowledge of the topic and concept have increased exponentially and there's been progress and growth in my level of thinking. Aristotle once said, it's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. One of the other aspects that I wanted to bring into the show is to discuss concepts and have guests on that will challenge your existing beliefs and thinking, because a lot of these beliefs and thoughts was acquired through programming and indoctrination from our schools, our universities, religious affiliations, society in general, and of course, media and information sources. I find that's when you get out of your comfort zone that growth in all areas of our lives happen. I belong to a mastermind group where one of the group leaders during a meetup said, wherever you are in life, it's the best thinking up to this point that got you there. And this was discussed in a very positive context. I think the example he used was growing a business. If your business was at a certain level of growth, your best thinking today got you there. So if you wanted to take it to the next level, you need to change your thinking. I learned a lot from this and I thought to myself, wow, you know, wherever I am right now in the situation that I'm in, whether it be in my health, relationships and money, three big sources of pain and pleasure for people, my best thinking got me here. Our guest today is someone that I've been following for a while with interest since he's always been forcing me out of my comfort zone and challenged my thinking and forcing me to ask tough questions and grow from those questions. And he has played a big role along with others in me starting to see and realize what is really going on in the world and what to do about it. He is an anarcho-capitalist, libertarian, freedom fighter against mankind's two biggest enemies, the state and the central banks, Jeff Berwick. Jeff Berwick is the founder of the Dollar Vigilante, CEO of TDV Media and Services, and host of the popular video podcast, Anarchost. Jeff is a prominent speaker at many of the world's freedom investment and gold conferences, including his own Anarchapoco, as well as regularly in the media, including CNBC, Bloomberg, and Fox Business. Jeff's background in the financial markets dates back to his founding of Canada's largest financial website, Stockhouse.com, in 1994. In the late 90s, the company expanded worldwide into eight different countries and had 250 employees and a market capitalization of 240 million U.S. dollars at the peak of the tech bubble. To this day, more than a million investors use Stockhouse.com for investment information every month. 
Jeff was the CEO from 1994 until 2002 when he sold the company. Afterwards, Jeff went forth to live on and travel the world by sailboat, but sank his boat in a storm off the coast of El Salvador. After being saved, clinging to his surfboard with nothing but a pair of surfing shorts left of all his material possessions, he decided to live nowhere and travel the world as spontaneously as possible with one overarching goal see and understand the world with his own eyes, not through the lens of the media. He went on to visit nearly 100 countries over five years and did and saw things that no education could ever teach. He met and spoke with a plethora of amazing people, from self-made billionaires to some of the brightest minds in finance, as well as entrepreneurs from a broad range of backgrounds and locations from tech companies in southern China to resource developers in Thailand, Russia, and Chile. He also read everything he could find on how the world really works, politically and financially, a pursuit he continues to this day. That education led him to become one of the biggest proponents of the permanent traveler prior taxpayer theory. He has since started numerous businesses, including TDV Offshore and TDV Wealth Management, to help others internationalize their assets. He also founded TDV Passports in 2009, although he turned over control to his partner in 2013 to help people get foreign residencies and citizenships. He expatriated long ago from his country of birth, Canada, and considers himself a citizen of the world. He has lived in numerous locales since then, including Los Angeles, Hong Kong, Bangkok, and Acapulco, Mexico. Outspoken, controversial, and courageous, Jeff is trying to warn as many people and help them to prepare for the coming chaos. Jeff was the person that started to write about the Shemitah and the Shemitah trends based on Jonathan Kahn's book, The Harbinger, and his Shemitah videos went viral on the internet with millions of views and was the most searched item along with his name as the market started to fall in the third quarter of 2015 and the first month in 2016. People were calling him crazy until so many things he has warned about and spoken about publicly has come true and everyone is now taking notice of him. Recently, billionaires, economists, hedge fund managers, the International Monetary Fund, Bank of International Settlements, and world leaders came out publicly and warned of a crash of biblical proportions, not only saying what Jeff has been saying for a while now, but using the same language. He has the fastest growing financial newsletter publication in the world right now, and he has awoken so many people to what's really going on and what's coming next. Jeff publishes fantastic information daily, writing for the dollarvigilante.com. I was honored to interview Jeff live on Skype video from his home in Acapulco, Mexico. So there's a short little introduction before I start my interview with Jeff again. Before we are joined by Jeff Berwick, just a reminder that you can download any book for free when you try Audible for 30 days. You can grab your free trial and audiobook download at cashflowninja.com forward slash free book download. And just a reminder, my friend Manish Bendy from Gold Silver for Life is hosting a webinar, Three Steps to Cashflow Gold and Silver. Manish is showing people how to use their gold and silver holdings to create income streams. You can register for the webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash gold silver webinar all of our shows and show notes are available at cashflowninja.com and you can also join our community by texting the word cashflowninja one word all capitalized to 44222 that's two fours and three twos 
If you sign up to join our community, I will email you three of the top 10 books ever written on building wealth. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to the Cashflow Ninja Podcast with your host, MC Lobsher. You must be prepared to ignite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. Now, some people have called him crazy for some of his predictions and views. Some people get really angry when they hear what he has to say. And that's because of some programming and brainwashing and because you're emotionally triggered to feel that way when somebody attacks ideas that have been fed to us for years. So it's really not rational. So I ask you today to listen what my guest has to say, critically think for yourself, investigate his views and ideas for yourself, and please form your own opinion. Our show is about creating income streams and managing, protecting, and growing your wealth in the information age and the new economy. And our guest today offers so much value in all of these areas. I'm honored to have with me on the show an entrepreneur on fire, international man of mystery, adventurer, anarcho-capitalist, libertarian, and freedom fighter against mankind's two biggest enemies, the state and central banks, Jeff Berwick. Jeff Berwick is the founder of the Dollar Vigilante, one of the fastest growing financial newsletters in the world, CEO of TDV Media and Services, and host of the popular video podcast, Anarchost. Jeff is a prominent speaker at many of the world's freedom, investment, and gold conferences, including his own Anarchapoco, as well as regularly in the media, including CNBC, CNN, and Fox Business. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Now, Jeff, can you share a little bit about your background and tell my audience about your journey, who Jeff Berwick is, and some of the moments in your life that have changed the way that you look at the world and how you view the world in general? Sure, yeah. I'm still trying to find out who Jeff Berwick is myself. Uh, <laughs> I think that's just an ongoing process. Uh, but um, I started out, uh, the, the pertinent information that your your audience might be interested in is I started up, I used to work at a bank in, in Canada in the early 90s, and I started up uh, the uh, Canada's largest financial uh, website called Stockhouse.com. It's still the largest financial website in Canada today. It's similar to the Street.com or MarketWatch.com in Canada. Uh, and uh, I started out of my house, and within a few years, it was worth $240 million. We had 300 staff in eight countries around the world at the height of the tech bubble. And at the, uh, at the bottom of the tech bubble, when it crashed uh, just a few months later in 2001, uh, the company went from being worth $240 million to essentially being worth nothing. Uh, and I had to scramble and salvage it to just even keep it alive. And uh, that was quite a shock to me just to see how that all happened and how quickly it happened. It literally happened in a, in a day. <laughs> it was quite amazing. Uh, it's very similar to the, the big short movie, how, uh, the, you know, in 2008, how it all happened. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Then it all happened on one day. Uh, that was similar in 2001. And of course, both of those were caused by central banks. And that's what I found out afterwards. So after the crash happened, I, I, I decided to sell the company once I salvaged it. It was really hard to salvage it because we had so, we had so many expenses uh, that we were expecting to be able to pay for that we didn't. So I had to negotiate with all our debtors and all that kind of stuff. But once I'd finally salvaged it, I sold it for a small amount of money. Uh, and I, I, I bought a sailboat and I said, OK, I'm going to sail around the world and see what's going on and try to figure out what happened and what's really going on in life. Because I think there's some things I'm missing because this doesn't make any sense. Uh, and uh, the first book I read, just uh, luckily enough, and actually it was my partner at Stockhouse who passed it to me. He said, you should read this book. And it was The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. And I read that, and I was like, oh, this explains so much. Uh, Alan Greenspan <laughs> is not exactly who he says he is, and this whole system is not exactly what it's portrayed to be. 
Uh, and uh, I just began reading and reading. I traveled around the world. I went to about 100 countries and just immersed myself in trying to find out what's really going on. And what I've, I ended up finding out generally is uh, that central banks are evil. They are a, uh, uh, a horrible, uh, there's actually a, a tenet of communism. Uh, it has nothing to do with capitalism. It was actually put in place by a bunch of private bankers more than a century ago. And actually the idea of central banking is even older than that. To essentially impoverish the entire population over time, and for the very, very small percent, we're not talking the one percent, we're talking the point zero 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 one percent, to become incredibly wealthy, and that's what's happened. That's actually how central banks are designed. It's actually uh, the way it works. It's a, it's a scam. It's essentially a scam. And uh, I realized that, and I also began to look into more things about government. And began to realize I'm an anarcho-capitalist and that governments are not a necessary evil. They're actually an unnecessary evil, very much a scam like the central banks are. And in fact, the two work hand in hand. Uh, so it was at that point around 2009 that I decided uh, after the 2008 collapse, which I knew was coming because I'd already figured out how everything worked. And I saw the money supply had started to go down. And I knew the, the crash was coming. So once it happened, I was like, okay, I understand this stuff and hardly anyone else does. So I'm going to, my next thing I'm going to do is start up something where I'm going to tell everyone how it all works and try to help people to not only survive through all the problems caused by governments and central banks, but also profit from it. So that's when I started the Dollar Vigilante in 2010. And uh, our tagline is, I'm a freedom fighter against mankind's two biggest enemies, the governments and the central banks. And that's what we still do to this day. And uh, we've uh, since 2010, it's just been amazing. Uh, when we first started, it was pretty quiet. You know, there'd be a big sort of a big thing to talk about once a month, maybe two things per month at most. Uh, and now uh, we're at the point where there's about 10 things I should be really talking about every day that are that have just happened. Uh, that I just don't have time to. So I just try to focus on just one thing a day. And I have no problem finding one crazy thing a day to talk about, to let people know about uh, that's going on uh, because things are we're really trans we're really speeding up towards the next crisis. And then I also uh, discovered a timeline of what the financial elite sees. It's been a, quite a journey for me personally. Along the way, about two years ago, I discovered that they actually have a timeline that's a very occult timeline uh, called the Shemitah and the Jubilee, that they do this every seven years. And if they talk to a lot of people on Wall Street, all, almost everyone will kind of understand there is some sort of seven-year cycle. Uh, but I think I've, I've figured out even more that there's actual dates, there's actual occult timelines they use. The financial elites are very uh, satanic. Uh, they they, they uh, follow a, a lot of this biblical stuff, but they try to do the opposite and try to ruin things on those exact dates. Uh, I don't un completely understand it exactly, uh, but I do follow it. And I've been one of the people sort of uh, exposing these things. And we exposed it last year with the Shemitah end day. That was the worst uh, quarter in global stock or worldwide stock markets since the last Shemitah in 2008. We're now in a jubilee year, which ends this October 2nd. So this is the uh, this is where I'm at right now. I think I covered it all in in five or ten minutes. <laughs> Fantastic! Actually, the book that woke me up too was the Creature of Jekyll Island. We were fortunate enough to have Mr. G. Edward Griffin on the show as well. So definitely made a made a big difference in my life. Now, uh, the Shemitah, what I like about it, too, is you actually advertised in Times Square. I thought it was great to try and, try and wake people up. Now, can you get a little bit more into that about the seven-year cycle that this happens and just explain to, to the, the folks out there that are not aware what the Jubilee here means of the Shemitah? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talking about the Times Square thing, yeah, I, I, I wrote a book last year called Shemitah Trends, uh, which talks about uh, not just the Shemitah, but how this government and central banking system has progressed and what their plan is. 
Uh, and right before the market started to collapse last year, I put it uh, on Times Square. I put an ad for the the book. Uh, of course, your average person walking down the street doesn't see it because they're they're blind to what we're talking about. But I was trying to wake them up. And a few days later, the uh, the New York Stock Exchange was down over a thousand points intraday. It's its biggest drop ever intraday. Uh, and uh, my name was actually the one of the most searched terms on Google that day, along with the word Shemitah. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, and so what happened after the Shemitah, which happens every seven years, uh, is uh, that every uh, so Shemitah is every seven years and every seventh Shemitah. So every 49 years is something called the Jubilee. And this is all biblical related, all Torah related uh, information that has mostly been sort of hidden or lost over time. But actually, Jonathan Kahn rediscovered it. Uh, with his book, The Harbinger, which is a massively best-selling book. And that's what woke me up to these dates initially was his book. Uh, and so um, we're now in the Jubilee year. So the Shemitah ended uh, September 23rd of last year. And now we're in the Jubilee, which ends October 2nd of this year. And no one knows what's going to happen. It's not like I'm a, I'm a prophet or I can predict the future amazingly or anything. But I know that these timelines are very important to these financial elites. And uh, I Beyond just the Shemitah and Jubilee, though, uh, if you just look at the numbers, and this is something when I started the Dollar Vigilante in 2010, I said within the decade, by 2020, for sure, uh, the U.S. dollar will collapse and all fiat currencies will collapse. Uh, I said it probably wouldn't start until at least uh, probably have about five to ten years left. And that was in 2010. So 2015 was the first time this whole thing started to really started to crack. Uh, so I've been quite right on that. And I, I still uh, totally expect that we're going to see a massive crisis collapse, definitely by 2020. Uh, and it could happen as soon as this fall. Uh, if you just look at the numbers alone, uh, this is, nothing makes sense. Everyone's bankrupt. Uh, nothing has changed since 2008. Uh, the 2008 crisis was really bad. And actually, that could have been the, the final crisis. But what they decided to do was to try to keep it going a little while longer, and they decided just to print money. So central banks around the world, all they did was print money. The, the big problem in 2008 was a massive amount of debt. Everyone was so, so indebted, and this is what happens in the central banking system. This is uh, just uh, how it works. Uh, and so it became so indebted uh, that finally everything started to fall apart. Lehman Brothers and all of them fell apart. They went to zero in, in one day. Uh, and the whole system could have collapsed at that time, but the central banks decide, okay, let's keep the system alive a little while longer. What we're going to do now is print money and keep interest rates at 0% or even crazier negative interest rates uh, until the system collapses now. That's the only option they have at this point. And so we've seen that, and I've said that for years, and a lot of people didn't, uh, when the Jenny Yellen, or actually Ben Bernanke in 2008, uh, so seven, eight years ago, uh, said, uh, moved interest rates to 0%, I said, they'll never raise interest rates again. And everyone thought I was crazy, as you pointed out. Uh, now, of course, they did move it up 0.25% in December of last year. So that was like a massive, huge increase. And, and we saw what happened. January was a bloodbath in the markets uh, with a 0.25% interest rate. And now Janet Yellen's humming and hawing like, well, I'm not sure if we're, we can do another 0.25%. Uh, if they do, we're going to see another major market collapse. Uh, if they don't, we're probably still going to see a major crisis or a collapse because we're that far down this rabbit hole. The U.S. government debt was uh, uh, around 8 trillion dollars in 2000 or 9 trillion in 2008 
It's now over 19 trillion. It's more than doubled in the last eight years. Uh, that is insane. That's complete insanity. The, the Federal Reserve has been one of the biggest buyer of the U.S. government debt in that time. That's complete insanity. When the central bank is buying the government's debt, that's the end of the system right there. Uh, then you have interest rates at zero or negative interest rates in places like Europe. That's the end of the system right there. This thing is, is, is just uh, fated to collapse. And actually, I think it's been planned to collapse. Uh, they, I think they're doing it again under their timeline. And if, they're, if I'm right on it, we will see a major crisis or collapse uh, by October 2nd of this year. And there are so many big names coming out warning us right now of problems in the system. Um, I, never before. I mean, there were some folks, obviously, that spoke about it in 2008. But it's just been amazing. Like every single day, it just seems that somebody else is coming out warning about something, you know. Uh, whether it's Stanley Drunkenmiller or whether it's George Soros or whether it's Jim Rogers. I mean, the names just keep adding up. Carl Icahn, uh, Alan Greenspan. This is all in the last few weeks. Um, all warning. And uh, Prime Minister Abe of Japan just last week at the G7 warned that the uh, Laban-style collapse uh, is coming. Uh, it's, it's almost here is basically what he said. And he, you know, that's a pretty big person. All these people, all these guys are all billionaires, all saying that we're on the cusp of a biblical level collapse. Many of them even use that term. Jim Rogers called it a biblical level collapse. Uh, of uh, the f entire financial monetary system. Even Jim Rogers said, we'll see countries disappear. We'll see millions of Americans be wiped out. And I don't know if he meant wiped out as in broke or dead. It uh, could be either, actually, at this point. It's, it's that dire. It's, uh, what's been amazing to me, though, is uh, you're right. How many people have been saying it before the collapse? And I think there's been a big change since 2008. I think thanks to the Internet, we're getting, first of all, access to this information uh, more than we would have in the past. Uh, before, it really wasn't much before 2008 that people really weren't on the Internet. There wasn't, before 2005, there was no Apple smartphones, so no one had a smartphone. They weren't checking constantly to see what's going on. Uh, there was no, uh, it really wasn't any Facebook. If, if there was Facebook, I think it started around 2005, so it really didn't exist. Uh, YouTube barely existed at the time. So we've seen uh, uh, people have access to all kinds of information now. And so I think uh, it's a quite amazing to me as well to see how many people are warning of this. I was the only one really warning about it. And I started last summer, uh, right before the, the first uh, cr uh, collapse started last summer. Uh, right before the Chinese stock market went down 50%, I said this was going to happen. And no one else was saying it. And now we're seeing everyone coming out and saying it. Uh, so it's really interesting dynamic. But the, here's the thing. Most people aren't listening. Uh, your average person uh, does not, if they do hear about it, they just sort of brush it aside. Even the IMF and the World Bank have said there's going to be a massive crisis and collapse happen. Right. Uh, and your average person, they're just watching, you know, if a, if a gorilla gets killed in a zoo, that's what it totally just <laughs> engulfs their entire mind for weeks. They're just so angry about the gorilla. It's like... Well, there's there's more stuff going on. Actually, I think a lot of that stuff in the mainstream media is meant to divert attention away from these things. They don't want your average person to know. If if your average person knew, we'd already have the crisis and collapse because people would already be taking their money out of the stock market. Stock markets. They'd already be selling their mutual funds. Uh, they'd already be taking the money out of the banks, which they know are bankrupt, and the FDIC's bankrupt. Or they don't know, but if they did know, they'd already be taking it out. Uh, so they don't want, want people to know until it already happens. Uh, but it is amazing. Well, we really are seeing it's an amazing time to see this uh, with the Internet now uh, to see how many people have started to warn of it. Uh, yet your average person still isn't paying attention.
No, and what I really like about your writings too at the dollarvigilante.com on a daily basis too is so many people were caught off guard in 2008. And I mean, every single day there's this amazing, valuable information sharing what's really going on so that nobody could be caught off guard. Now, you're an optimist and fantastic entrepreneur. So you saw what was going on there and, as we discussed, came up with a solution in the Dollar Vigilante. Can you talk a little bit just about the service and some of the value that you provide? I think you guys had an internationalization conference and, and summit. Um, there's a Dollar Vigilante community across the world uh, for as a support network when you land in another country. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you pointed out I am an entrepreneur, and as an entrepreneur, what I do is I, real, I look for things that don't exist that I think should exist, uh, and, and usually it's things that I would want. And that's how even when I started Stockhouse, which is the top internet uh, financial internet site in Canada, the reason I started that was because there was no uh, financial internet site in Canada in 1994 when I started it, and I wanted stock quotes for Canadian stocks on the internet, and no one was providing it, so I just started it. Uh, the Dollar Vigilante was similar in that way, but a little bit more passion-focused. Uh, I, I really wanted to spread the message of uh, liberty, anarcho-capitalism, really try to uh, wake people up to how bad these governments and central banks are and how they are ruining the world, how they're destroying so many lives. They've, of course, governments in the 20th century alone killed their, of their own people, hundreds of millions. There's over 200 million people killed by their own governments in, in the 20th century. That doesn't include all the wars, which are just uh, governments fighting over who's going to own tax slaves, uh, which is another hundreds of millions. We're talking like half a billion people were killed by governments and central banks in the 20th century. Uh, so uh, for a big part of this is just sort of I want people to understand and wake up to it so we can get rid of these things and to have a peaceful and prosperous world like we've never known it. Uh, if we can get rid of the, even just central banks alone, if we can get rid of those. Uh, Ron Paul said it's no uh, coincidence that the 20th century was a century of total war. It was also a century of, of uh, central banking. Uh, you can't have all those wars without central banks. Uh, and that's how they're designed. So it was sort of passion-based to do it. But I also recognized that we were going to have another 2008 sort of crisis. It's going to be far worse because they didn't let it collapse in 2008. If they had let it collapse in 2008, we would have gone through really tough times for a couple of years. And by now, uh, we'd be uh, so much more prof uh, prosperous uh, because they would have uh, allowed the whole uh, system to mostly collapse. And then everyone can rebuild from that. And you can just see how quickly humans can rebuild. You just look at uh, so many examples. Look at Germany after World War II. It was just, it was just ruins, smoking ruins. And now uh, you even went there even 10 or 20 years after World War II. And it was just an amazing place. And even now it's just uh, so, uh, such a nice place. So, so much, so modern and so many things. Uh, you can really rebuild. Even Hong Kong was a fishing village, and uh, once uh, the, it had uh, the British uh, law system, which is a better law system than than most uh, are, uh, it uh, turned into Hong Kong. <laughs> just look at Hong Kong; it's just unbelievable. There's there's no yeah. resources there, no nothing. That's what happens when you have free markets uh, and and some sort of uh, uh, pri you know private private free markets can operate. Uh, when you have that, humans can rebuild amazingly fast. So if they let it collapse in 2008. By now, we'd already be so much better off. I wouldn't even be doing the dollar vigilante. I'd probably be starting businesses or helping people do things and uh, things like that. Uh, but they didn't. So now the next collapse is going to be so much worse. No one's going to believe how bad it's going to be. I actually 
think it's going to be worse than even I can imagine it's going to be. That's how bad it's going to be. Uh, so I really started it to, to do that. And the tagline at Dollar Vigilante is surviving and prospering during and after the dollar collapse. So the goal was to uh, help people to prosper, uh, which we have. We've had uh, so many profits in the last year, massive profits. We've been just blowing every other uh, newsletter in the world out of the water in terms of our profits, just a thousand percent profits on a regular basis. Things like Bitcoin, things like uh, gold mining stocks in the first quarter of this year, uh, things like that. But also to uh, uh, survive through it, uh, which, uh, you know, a large part of that will be keeping your wealth outside of uh, the uh, reach of the government. Uh, so we help people to understand how to do that, how to internationalize their assets. So you pointed out we now uh, we just did a conference called the Dollar Vigilante Internationalization and Investment uh, Summit. Uh, you can actually still see all the videos to that online. I believe the uh, if you go to dollarvigilante.com slash IIS, uh, you can uh, uh, get those videos. Um, so we, I'm doing all those sort of things. Uh, I, I expected what's going to happen, what is currently happening to happen. Uh, that's one thing that an entrepreneur does. So you get there beforehand and you start building the infrastructure and the resources that people are going to need when it does happen. Uh, that's where we're at right now. We're the fastest growing financial newsletter in the world. Nothing even comes close because people are starting to realize that we've been right. right. Uh, they're starting to come to us to figure out how they can help uh, themselves, how to uh, s uh, secure themselves and their family from from this coming crisis and also how to profit from it. Uh, so we've got thousands of subscribers. I also realized the community was going to be really important. Uh, as you go through these really crazy periods of time, you really need to have friends. Uh, and uh, this is something everyone should be doing, by the way. If you Wherever you live, try to get to know your neighbors. Uh, this is something that's been sort of, especially in places like the U.S., people don't do that anymore. They go check their mail. They wouldn't even look their right. neighbor in the eye. No, that, that's your support system all around you. And as things collapse, you're going to want to know those people and be friends with them. Uh, and they, they, they might be able to help you. Maybe they've got a garden in their backyard and maybe you've got a house full of guns and bullets and maybe you guys can help each other uh, through what's going to happen. Uh, so get to know that. So I built a community. So we actually, as part of the Dollar Vigilante newsletter, which is only about $15 a month, if anyone wants to subscribe at dollarvigilante.com slash subscribe. Uh, you can get access to this community. We've got thousands of people around the world. Uh, we've got over, I think, a hundred uh, cities around the world. Uh, so every time I travel now, I actually stop in and see our subscribers in each city. Uh, there's usually a, a group there, usually amazing people, usually people who have already thought about what's going on, already started to protect themselves, uh, know what's going on, which is really nice. So you can have a nice conversation. You don't have to, uh, you know, it's talk about things at a very basic level. They already know what's going on. So so that's been nice. So that's what I've started to build, and um, and it's going well, which is unfortunate. It'd be it'd be better for humanity if this was not going well. Uh, because that would mean that people don't need these sort of things, but uh, that more and more people are going to need them, unfortunately, and we're just here to try to help. Yeah, that's community is so important, and growing up in South Africa in a small holding in between uh, a bunch of farms in a farm community, I just remember the, what a tight-knit community we 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 were and still am to this day. And if something happens on your farm, is if there's a fire, everybody was coming over to help. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very sad to see how we've lost that touch and know our neighbors and, and talk to our neighbors. But, um, so let's talk. You actually go and spend some time on the ground in areas that you write about. And you just recently went on a trip to Venezuela to see what a collapse looks like. Uh, to write about it and, and obviously uh, warn your subscribers. Can you talk about your trip to Venezuela? Yeah, sure. Um, 
uh, I decided uh, that I'd never seen hyperinflation before in person. Of course, I've heard about it. I've uh, heard about all of them, uh, the, the Weimar Republic in Germany, Zimbabwe, which actually happened in my adult lifetime, but I, I didn't go during that time. And I actually always kind of regretted it. I I thought, I have to see what really happens during a hyperinflation, uh, especially if what I'm doing today. I'm trying to advise people on how to prepare for hyperinflation and crisis and collapse. Uh, so I should definitely go and see it for myself so I can get some real on-the-ground information. And that's the other thing, too, is you can't really get good information from the media. The mainstream media isn't going to tell you any of these things. Uh, they're not even going there, actually. So there was really no journalists going there. No one was really reporting what's going on. And uh, what I've found is the media, even when they do report, and especially when they report from abroad, it's pretty much useless information. It's usually all wrong. Uh, even here in Acapulco, I'm just about to do a video on this. Uh, they write, they've been writing for the last month about how dangerous Acapulco is. It's not. It's totally not. It's actually propaganda. There was actually a false flag event, if you can believe it here. I'm just about to report on it. I couldn't believe it. Right in my own backyard, they actually had a false flag event. They had a fake event uh, to try to bring in more government, uh, into the more federal police into this area. Uh, and they reported on it internationally as uh, this place is a war zone. It's crazy. And uh, for people watching on video, it's fine. There's people out there <laughs> riding around on jet skis. Uh, it's so beautiful. When it came to Venezuela, I was like, well, I have to go because I'm sure what I'm hearing from CNN about Venezuela is wrong. Uh, it always is. And uh, they never even try to give you what's right. That It's always going to be propaganda to begin with, but uh, it's usually just wrong in other areas as well. Uh, so I thought I have to go there. So I went uh, three weeks about No, it was over a month ago, maybe even two months ago now. It's been a while. And uh uh, actually, the, when, the day before we were about to leave, the headline was that uh, Venezuela had no power. They're turning off all the power to save power. <laughs> and and uh, I was going to go with Luke Radowski of We Are Change. And Luke got really worried. And actually, I was worried, too, because I don't like living in, without power. We're very Internet. Uh, my whole life is Internet. Everything I do, writing, videos, everything's with power and the Internet. And we were thinking, oh, we're going to go right. into this pretty dangerous place. And there's not even going to be Internet or power. Uh, we, uh, Luke didn't want to go. And I said, Luke, I'm sure the media is wrong, as always. And actually, we have a dollar vigilante group in Venezuela. So I went on there. I said, hey, is the power on? And they said, yeah, why? And I said, oh, the, the mainstream media is reporting there's no power. And they're like, no. Uh, the power is on. And so I was like, yeah, as usual, the mainstream media is totally wrong. So we went and um, it was uh, pretty bad. Uh, the uh, At the airport, uh, we were met by Dollar Vigilante subscribers, There's only a few anarcho-capitalists in Venezuela, and they met us there. Uh, they told us essentially to run to the car at the airport because that's where they said that's the most dangerous part of Caracas is a lot of people are so desperate there and don't have anything that they'll wait around the airport trying to rob any tourists who might have anything because they don't have anything at the moment. Uh, so we ran to the car, hopped in, tore off. And once we got away from the airport, he said, OK, we're, we should be OK. Now we're in a car with tinted windows. Uh, we went to the nicest hotel in Caracas. Uh, in the nicest part of town, and it wasn't a total disaster in that area because, as usual, there's always pockets of, of areas that isn't too bad. And uh, we checked in. We were the only people in the hotel. It was like a big sort of Hyatt-sized hotel, and we were the only people there. It felt like a ghost town. Even when we walked in, there was no staff there because uh, they all hide because so many people will come in and try to rob them. Uh, and they're not allowed to have guns. There's a very strict gun control in Venezuela for everyone except for the government who is destroying the country and the criminals. And actually, that's uh, I just uh, repeated myself. The government is criminals as well. And so we go in. Everyone's hiding. Uh, we, we get a room. Uh, and uh, uh, oh, we changed uh, U.S. dollars at the airport for Venezuelan boulevards, which is actually called the the uh, strong boulevard now because it actually the boulevard uh, – 
collapsed about 10 years ago. And when it, it went through a hyperinflation 10 years ago, and when it collapsed, they said, okay, the next one we're going to call Strong Bolivar, so it doesn't collapse. <laughs> and they're not really quite <laughs> understanding how this all works. And um, so I changed $100. So I had one U.S. $100 bill. I gave it to a guy really sneakily in the airport. Actually, the first uh, – for people, who, if you do go there, and I wouldn't recommend you do, but if you do, as soon as I walked out of the of the part of the airport where there's security and into the uh, main terminal, as soon as I did, a guy came up. He's like, you want, you want to exchange U.S.? Do you want to exchange U.S.? So that was very easy. I went over to a corner. He looked around. Uh, I passed him a hundred dollar bill, and he passed us a backpack full of money. It was literally, uh, it, was, it was about ten pounds worth of money. Uh, each uh, the because the strong bolivar because they want to make it strong. The the largest denomination is a hundred bolivars, which uh, at current exchange rates in the black market, which is actually the free market, is uh, ten cents. So the largest bill is a ten is a dime. <laughs> so so if you want to buy, you want to go to a nice restaurant and pay for dinner, you're going to have to bring a backpack full of money. Uh, so that's what we did, and we went there, and we were told just, you know, don't wear your sunglasses, don't use your cell phone out on the streets, uh, you'll get robbed. Um, uh, we, and this is the nicest part of town, like the uh, very small part of town that's still not too bad. That's where all the rich people are. That's where a lot of the rich government people are. So it's actually not too bad. But even there, we were t- warned to be very, very careful. Uh, we went out and we tried to go out at night. We were warned not to. There was not a person on the street. There was not, everything's closed, uh, nothing open. And the internet was slow, of course. And, uh, so after about a 36 hours, we were planning to stay for four days. After about 36 hours, Luke and I said, let's just get out of here. This is not fun. Uh, we're just sitting here barricaded in our hotel, hoping people don't rob us, basically. Uh, and, uh, we did, we went out and did a story, went to the Barrios. Uh, once we got into the Barrios, actually, this is interesting enough, is it, it was actually safer because he, uh, the person, the, the person who met us at the airport, that's where he lives. So he said, Oh yeah, I know all my neighbors. If I bring you in, you're fine. So again, it's, it's that more community. Once you get into that, you're fine. Uh, but once you get into the more where it's, it's less community oriented, you're not. So once we were in the barriers, we did some videos and stuff. And then Luke and I just said, let's just get out of here. This is not fun. Uh, and here's the interesting thing. That was two months ago. I've been hearing from my contacts and in the media, but the media I don't, I don't believe or listen to. But I've heard from my contacts that it has gotten much, much worse in just the last two months. And I expected that. I, I told my friend I wished him luck. I said, uh, I think this is going to get really bad really quick. And um, he was actually less um, uh, pessimistic or optimistic, depends how you look at it. He he thought it could go on for a while still. I said, I don't know. Once you need backpacks of money to go around, once uh, uh, no one can really go out at night because it's too dangerous. Um, Once people and people were when I was there, people would line up for food. So a grocery store, uh, you'd have to line a lot of people would line up overnight. Uh, to get there for the first in the morning. So they'd line up for about 12 hours. And many times, once it opened, there'd be nothing inside. Uh, so they were lining up with the hopes that they would get a del- delivery of something. Uh, so I, it was really bad when I was there, and now it's gotten worse. That power actually has started to go out since then. Uh, so, uh, so they have started to ration power. Uh, the power's all run by the government, of course. And so it's like that old saying, let the government manage the Sahara Desert, and within a few years, you'd be out of sand. Totally the case. Uh, so the, the not much power there now, which of course makes things much worse. Uh, the, uh, the shortages have worsened because of government controls. Uh, and so there's really not much. There's been reports of people even eating dogs and stuff. Now it's getting that bad. 
now finally the Venezuelan people, I don't understand why it's taken them this long, are starting to get angry. Uh, but the thing is, they don't understand. A lot of them still think communism and socialism is awesome. Uh, when I was there, we went through parts of town where they still have pictures of Hugo Chavez everywhere as they're lined up for 12 hours to try to get a loaf of bread. Um, this uh, pro government propaganda, this idea of socialism, communism is like a disease. Uh, they, they still don't understand what's wrong. They actually think they're just doing it wrong. They, they think there should be more government controls, and that's how they'll fix all these problems. It's a really sad situation, but yeah, it, it's gotten much, much worse, and uh, I definitely would not uh, return at this point. Personally, I didn't enjoy it the first time I was there. It sounds like it's even worse now, uh, but I think it will go through a collapse at some point uh, soon, and after that collapse, I think there'll be massive opportunities. The place is an amazing place. Venezuela has so many resources, one of the biggest oil resources in the world. It's got natural resources resources, tropical rainforest. The place should be amazing, uh, but it's not right now. But once the government collapses, that could be the next place that I, I'm the first person on the plane there to look at opportunities. Now, let's talk about something really exciting. And I've actually learned a lot about this from you and reading your newsletters, Bitcoin. Um, you've mentioned that this is really one of the most exciting times to be alive since Bitcoin is almost where the inter internet was before it went mainstream. Um, and all the other cryptocurrencies. And then, of course, there's also an accelerating trend of the, our cashless society. Can you explain Bitcoin to my listeners? Sure. Uh, how long do you have? <laughs> but I'll try, to, I'll try to explain it quite simply. Uh, for people who don't know much about Bitcoin, it's essentially a cryptocurrency. It was started in 2009. Uh, and the interesting thing about this currency is it's completely de decentralized. So uh, for people, a lot of people might remember uh, back in the old days with music, there was things like Napster, and a lot of people used to share music that way. And uh, so there was no one place, there was no ser one server that had the music on it. It was actually on thousands of computers around the world and things like called torrents. That's essentially what Bitcoin is. So Bitcoin doesn't actually exist. There is no Bitcoin office. There is no Bitcoin server. There is no Bitcoin CEO. It's just software that people around the world run. And so it's completely decentralized, which is really exciting. And that's why I think it's, it's a re uh, revolutionary or even evolutionary in money and banking. And so essentially it started in 2009. It's become uh, quite uh, uh, used around the world now. There's there's literally millions of people who use Bitcoin. Uh, you can buy almost anything in Bitcoin now. Uh, so it's really progressed a lot. So it's becoming like a real money, uh, which is really interesting to see a, a currency that uh, uh, in less than 10 years has already become widely used and is currently uh, uh, worth about $450. Or not actually, five, it went up about $100 in the last week. Uh, it's actually worth $550. Uh, uh, per uh, 550 Bitcoin per one uh, dollar right now. Uh, in, two, in 2011, when I first started covering, it was three dollars, and so we got a lot of our subscribers into it at that point. So that's been another big gain for us. Uh, so it's, that's essentially what it is. And the reason why it's so exciting and why I call it an evolution in money and banking is because th it doesn't exist anywhere. And this is at a time when we have fiat currencies, and of course, fiat currencies have all kinds of problems. Uh, including that they're all probably going to soon collapse and they're all backed by nothing. I mean, you can say the same thing about Bitcoin, but you can say the same thing about the U.S. dollar. It's not backed by anything either. Uh, and uh, so it's uh, in this digital age, it's uh, very important, I think. Uh, you can, it's so uh, amazing to use. 
If you have a million dollars in Bitcoin, you could transfer it to someone in China in a couple of seconds, uh, and no one can stop it. No one can uh, ask you what you're doing with it. In fact, uh, if you're if you're careful, no one would even know who you were or who you sent the money to. Uh, it's, so it's it's amazing in that way. Uh, whereas today, if you try to send a million dollars to someone in China, you're going to have to go down to your bank, uh, fill out some documents. They're going to ask you where the money came from, who you sent the money to. Uh, we're not sure if we're going to allow this, and and then of course governments have all the other uh, rules about sending money internationally. So Bitcoin uh, is an evolution of money and banking that has the potential uh, to destroy central banks because it's so much better than fiat fiat money. Uh, the other great thing about Bitcoin is that it doesn't have a central bank, uh, so it can't be massively inflated like central bankers do. And that's what actually causes most of the problems. That's what we started talking about at the beginning of this interview was how the central banks create all these massive booms and busts which destroy so much capital uh, by printing money and then slowing down printing money and then printing more money. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't do that. So it's, Bitcoin is a much more sound money uh, than uh, fiat currencies. Uh, so in that respect, it has the potential to... Uh, actually destroy central banks. And if it destroys central banks, it actually has the potential to destroy governments uh, because governments, uh, uh, once central banks are gone, the governments will have to come down in size by at least 90% once central banks are gone uh, because they, they won't be able to print money anymore to pay for their expenses. Uh, and because they won't be able to print money anymore, less people will be wanting to loan money to governments because they won't be able to pay much of it back. Uh, so governments will have to be reduced by at least 90% if central banks go, which would be amazing. That'd be 90% of the way to perfection, which would be 100%. Uh, and uh, so Bitcoin really has that potential. So the governments and the central banks around the world realize that. That's why they're they're trying to regulate it, which you can't. You can only regulate people, uh, which they try to do. Uh, they're trying to control it, which they can't. It's not controllable. Uh, and uh, they're not sure what to do. They're trying to do everything they can to stop it, but uh, you really can't unless they turn off the Internet or the power, uh, which is possible. Uh, they actually talk a lot about the Internet kill switch. For uh, That's part of the reason. Uh, the other reason is because too many people are waking up thanks to access to information. So they actually are talking about turning off the Internet at some point because people are starting to wake up and things like Bitcoin are starting to take hold. And if, if people wake up and start using Bitcoin, uh, that will there won't be central banks or governments governments much longer. Uh, so they uh, really uh, might do something as extreme as turning off the internet or causing an um, a EMP attack to turn off the power for a certain period of time. Uh, these are things that the governments are thinking about doing, these wonderful governments that they, some people seem to want. This is what they're thinking about doing to keep control and make sure that you're always a tax slave to them. Uh, so Bitcoin is amazing. I've, I've said it is essentially the greatest thing that's happened to humanity since the internet. And uh, of course, uh, Bitcoin couldn't have happened without the internet. Uh, the Internet has changed so much, as we talked about earlier, uh, since 1994. It's really picked up speed in the last decade. Uh, it's changing the world. Mainstream media, uh, hardly anyone's watching anymore. I think there was a poll done recently. 90% of people don't believe what they see on mainstream media anymore, which is great. That means there are only 10% left who, who haven't figured it out yet. Uh, most, uh, So many people are just cutting their cable. It's actually a, a term now called cord cutting. Uh, people are just canceling their television service because they, they get all their information through the internet. Uh, so this is fantastic. The internet's changing things. Uh, of course, uh, no one would dispute the internet has changed uh, all of our lives dramatically. Uh, we wouldn't even be talking right now. I 
wouldn't even know who you were because the only people who would know me would be people who live around me. Uh, maybe I'd write in the local newspaper or something about my crazy dollar vigilante stuff. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't even know who I was. Uh, we wouldn't be able to talk like this in real time over the Internet. Uh, so the Internet was amazing and still is amazing. It's going to be even more amazing. You just look at uh, today. It's, it's incredible. Um, a lot of people just don't even realize how incredible it is. Uh, the largest hotel company in the world now doesn't own any hotels, Airbnb. The largest taxi company in the world doesn't own any taxis, Uber. Uh, the ar- largest retail in the world doesn't have any stores, Amazon. Uh, so uh, with that going on, of course, Bitcoin makes complete and total sense for people to use a digital currency uh, since everything now is so digital. Uh, so I think uh, Bitcoin, for that reason, and because governments can't control it, and because it has the potential to get rid of fiat currencies, central banks, and governments, is the biggest thing to ever ha- to happen since the internet. And it's just beginning. Uh, uh, Bitcoin started in 2009. Hardly anyone knew it, about it, including myself, until uh, 2011. That's when I found out about it. Uh, still, uh, most people hadn't even heard the word until 2013. That was when uh, Cyprus did its bank bail-ins, and I went all over ma- uh, mainstream media talking about Bitcoin, and a number of other people did. And that's when it got kind of known by the public a little bit, but still people mostly didn't know what it was. Still to this day, most people don't know what it is, so it's still very early. Uh, if, uh, if it, but it's growing. Uh, people are hearing about it all the time. It's such a much uh, better money to use than any other money in the world. Uh, and as it continues to grow, it's just simply supply and demand, the value of Bitcoin. So as more and more people use it, and I've done the calculations, and I've done, I did it a few years ago, uh, but off the top of my head, if, if, the U, if Bitcoin uh, replaces fiat currencies, if, if it replaces the U.S. dollar, so everyone in the world starts using Bitcoin instead of dollars or euros or pounds or yen, uh, Bitcoin in today's dollars, in today's dollar terms, would be worth well over a million dollars. I think I, I think it was uh, 10 million, uh, something like that. So it's currently at 500. Uh, so that's the upside potential. The downside potential is it's a new currency. Uh, anything could happen. Uh, hackers, uh, there could be, if they turn off the internet, power problems. Uh, if a new cryptocurrency comes out and does way better, um, it could uh, take over. There's a high competition in the cryptocurrency space. There's literally thousands of them. Some of them are doing very well well now, including Ethereum. Uh, so uh, uh, a number of things could happen to, to derail Bitcoin to an extent, but cryptocurrencies will continue to flourish. Uh, but if Bitcoin ends up being the winner of cryptocurrencies, and if it does take over from other fiat currencies, it'll be worth millions of dollars of Bitcoin in today's dollars uh, in terms of value, uh, just on, based on supply and demand. Uh, but uh, I think uh, uh, if you, people out there don't know what Bitcoin is, they should de- definitely look into it and start using it. Uh, just go to a, a site like blockchain.info, open a Bitcoin wallet, wallet it takes about two seconds compare that to opening a bank account where you're going to have to get in your car drive down go wait in a lobby for a guy sign some documents show him all your identification he's going to ask you all kinds of questions then he'll open the account it's such an exciting time to to be alive and uh just to create income streams on the internet, as, as you've mentioned. Now, one of the companies that you're involved in, I've, I've looked at, t- taken a look at it. It's pretty exciting to watch my bit. And it's really exciting and a great area just to earn a revenue stream and monthly income through, there's musicians on there. There's, uh, uh, people teaching on there. Can you talk about that just a little bit? 
Sure. Uh, Watch My Bid is just one example of literally thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of new uh, startups and ventures that have all been built around the Bitcoin or blockchain ecosystem. Uh, This is something I talk about all the time in the Dollar Vigilante newsletter, by the way. We're actually going to be featuring uh, in the next week a company that has the potential to take over Uber's market share, and they've already started. Uh, They're all blockchain-based and Bitcoin-based, and we have an opportunity to invest in them at a very small valuation, and it could turn out to be a billion-dollar company. So these are the kind of things that we're uh, involved in. Uh, and so you bring up Watch My Bit. Watch My Bit is an interesting one. It's looking to take over the uh, the video streaming space from uh, people like YouTube and things like that uh, using Bitcoin and blockchain technology. Uh, essentially, you can... Uh, you could put a video up on their site and sell it for even five cents uh, because uh, the, the the fiat currency system, the Visa and MasterCard and PayPal and all those things, they can't really accept payments below 10 or 20 cents. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense because their costs are so high. Uh, but Bitcoin, you can. So you can start up a video, put it on on this site for five cents. Uh, if you get you know 100,000 people watching it, you make a good income. Uh, you can also, uh, if you put it on a uh, video, uh, for example, if it's your band and you're, you're playing a concert and you might only have like 5,000 fans around the world or something like that, but you want to put it up and you want to sell it for a dollar, uh, maybe make $5,000, which should be for a lot of bands pretty good. Uh, you might, you can even set it up. So the, the vocalist gets 20%, the guitarist gets 20%, the camera guy gets 20%. So every single time that someone buys for a dollar that video, every one of those guys gets 20 cents, uh, immediately. Uh, it's just, you know, these are the kinds of, uh, disruptive, uh, amazing new technologies that are coming on stream. And Watch My Bit is just one of them. I actually met Watch My Bit. They uh, came to Anarchapoca, which is our largest largest anarcho-capitalist conference in the world, held every year in Acapulco. We're going to do it again next year, 2017, last week of February. You can just check it out at anarchapoco.com. Uh, and um, they actually came to do all our videos, so uh, all the presentations, they videoed everything, and we put them all up on Watch My Bit. That's where I met them. So all kinds of uh, interesting people, amazing people uh, happening in this space. So uh, I like to tell people... Uh, imagine if you could go back to 1993 and really get invested and really understand and really in, invest in thing in internet-related things. Uh, by 1999, you'd be pretty much a billionaire. Uh, that's where Bitcoin is right now. Uh, it is at that uh, uh, point where uh, it could have such massive growth. All these related companies, and there's literally thousands of them starting up right now. In fact. Uh, there's one called the DAO, the D-A-O, which just did a crowdfund of its uh, essentially is a uh, it's kind of complicated to explain. Actually, all this stuff is quite complicated, uh, but um, it uh, has a coin, uh, DAO coin. Uh, they did a crowdfund, and they raised over $130 million in a few weeks in cryptocurrency. They actually only accepted Ethereum, which is another cryptocurrency, as investment, and raised $130 million in a couple of weeks. And that's just one uh, company doing one thing. Uh, so this is a space that for people who are interested in investment, interested in sort of startup opportunities, uh, or even entrepreneurs, uh, you should be – this should be all you should be focused on. This is like being in the Internet in 1993. Uh, the 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 uh, the world is your oyster in, in those terms because this is going to be a massive uh, change. In fact, Bitcoin and the blockchain could revolutionize the internet itself by decentralizing the internet because today the internet is all very centralized. So when you go to Google.com, you're actually you're sending data to a server at Google's office. When you go to Amazon, the same thing. Uh, what they're trying to set up right now is completely decentralized. So the entire internet doesn't actually exist in any one place, which is really exciting because then 
then no one government can really crack down or regulate or legislate any one website because it doesn't really exist anywhere. There'd be nowhere they could go with their guns, and that's all government does. That's all government is, is violence, is go with their guns and force people to do things. There's no one to force. They, they, could, they can shoot computers, but the thing won't exist on just any one or two computers. Uh, so it's very, very exciting stuff that most people uh, haven't even looked into yet. So I, I encourage your audience to at least look into it. Like I said, just start up a Bitcoin, just open a Bitcoin wallet to start with at blockchain.info. takes two seconds. Uh, then buy some Bitcoin. Open, go to a Bitcoin exchange. Uh, Coinbase is a good one in the U.S. There's so many uh, big ones now. Get some Bitcoin and then buy something with it. And you'll see just how amazing it is. And once, pretty much everyone, when I show them how it works on their phone, Within as soon as I hit, you know, get them set up and get them to send Bitcoin somewhere, their eyes open. They go, "Wow, <laughs> this this changes everything." And, and it's right, it does. Yeah, it does. That's what hap- that's what happened to me. The, the, the same response. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Jeff, one one question that I ask um all of my guests is, if you cannot pass on any money to your children and grandchildren, but you are only allowed to pass on five principles and values to build wealth and achieve success and happiness, what would they be? Oh, that's a good question. I, I would say as far as inheritance goes, I don't believe in just giving all my money to my kids when I die. Uh, I, I don't think that's actually a good thing. I think um, they, they should build their own wealth over time. Uh, of course, I'm here to support them in any possible way if they ever have any problem, absolutely. But as far as just giving them money just because they're my kids, I, 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 think, I don't think that makes any sense. I think... Uh, you know, people should really rethink those. I've met so many rich kids, for example, and they're the worst people in the world because they just have gotten everything given to them. They never learned anything. They don't understand how things work. Uh, they think for some reason people should just pander to them, uh, but they never really earned it. Uh, so in that sense, I don't really, uh, give my they're only 9-11 so i'm not going to give them a lot of money but uh, i would never give them a lot of money uh, for no reason i might invest in them if they come up with a good business idea and i think it's really good i might invest in it but i'm not just going to give them some money uh, but as far as passing on uh, to them uh, some things uh, you know, I learn more from them than they learn from me. Uh, my son uh, uh, comes in almost every day and he's like, he's already figured out some stuff that I didn't even think about. <laughs> and he's like, you know, Papa, I don't think they went to the moon in 1969. I'm like, I don't think they did it either. And he's like, you know, when you think about it, they didn't have the technology as 50 years ago. Uh, you know, he's just like thinking about all these things already. And he's like, I'm not even sure about the dinosaurs. I'm like, I'm not sure about the dinosaurs either. You know, like he's just like a free thinker, which is awesome. And, you know, I'm not saying maybe they went to the moon, but I highly doubt it uh, the more I look into it. Uh, but um, I learned more from him. And he tells me about, you know, I remember once I was really uh, stressed out. And he, he just told me, relax, Dad, everything's going to be fine. And it's just the way he said it with the big eyes, because I was all stressed out. It was during actually a tropical storm here, and I couldn't find my wife. And I knew she was in an area where they had this horrible flood, and the river overflowed and washed away an entire town. And he was just like, just relax. You know, you know there's so much. They, they know so much more than we do. But if, um, if, you know, as far as passing along to them, the only thing I ever tell them, uh, and the only thing that I still to this day really tell them is there's only really one thing important in life is don't hurt other people. Uh, just don't uh, initiate violence against other people. Uh, that's the, if you just follow that one rule, and that's very similar to Jesus, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Just follow that one rule and you will have a pretty good life. Uh, just, uh, and of course, if everyone followed that one rule, there'd be no government because government initiates violence. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm, I've, 
consider myself not really uh, so much a parent as an advisor to my kids. So I just advise them. For example, uh, after Halloween, they had a bag full of candy and they said they were going to eat it all in one night. And I, uh, you know, a lot of parents would, you know, take the bag of candy away from them, which is theft, or hit them, which is violence. Uh, and I just said, I wouldn't do that. And they said, why? And I said, do you know how much sugar is in that stuff? You are going to be so sick if you eat it all in one night. And they didn't believe me. They ate it all. They were sick the next day, and now they barely eat any candy. Uh, so uh, now they they listen to me even more because I'm a good advisor. Everything I tell them <laughs> seems to, you know, happen. So so that's how I think uh, we should be with children is not telling them what to do, and that's what really drives in that authority sort of mindset, which makes people want to uh, listen to governments and things like that. But advising them, uh, not making them do things. Uh, uh, letting them do things, uh, but telling them if you think, you know, for example, my daughter once uh, when she was three feet tall wanted to jump off a six foot ledge. And I said, I wouldn't do that. And she said, why? And I said, that's pretty high. You're, that's twice your height. You could easily bend an ankle or break an ankle. And uh, she said, well, wh- what would you do? And I said, I would start lower. I would start at three feet. And she said, okay. And she started at three and she did it. She said, yeah, that wasn't too bad. And I said, okay, we'll try higher. Tried four. She said, okay, that was a little scary. She tried five. She said, that was really scary. That was too much. I'm not going to try six. And she said, you're right. Uh, you know, I think six is too much for me at this point in time. Whereas a lot of other parents would have hit their kids or said, no, you can't. Or if they tried to jump, they'd hit them. And, you know, that's just the, the wrong way about it. So I don't try to instill anything in my kids. I don't try to force my, you know, ideologies on them or anything. I just tell them, uh, I try to advise them on what I think is the best way to do things and, and let them figure it out for themselves. That's one thing that I've learned uh, just following you too, just your philosophy with business partners a- as well, you know, they, uh, or people working for you. You don't see them as employees. You see them as partners working in your business. And another thing that you really challenged my, my mindset on, and it's, it's really when you think about it, uh, you know, I was walking around the other day is the peace, peaceful parenting thing. You know, you think about it and you're like, well, I don't solve my problems with with violence in any other area of my life whatsoever so why you know i don't have children yet but why why would you want to you teach your children that oh here's how dad solves problems with violence you know and the anarchist philosophy that people have a completely different idea on do you just want to briefly say something about that as well Sure. Uh, I'll mention that unschooling is an amazing way. Uh, schooling, uh, definitely don't send your kids to government schools. Those are indoctrination camps, and they're, they're there for a reason, to treat them to show up on time, to obey authority, and to memorize mostly false information uh, to get uh, approval from the, the system. Uh, so don't do that. Uh, there's something called unschooling, which is amazing. Uh, look up Dana Martin. She's one of the best people doing that. She was a speaker at Anarchapoco last year. Uh, even Elon Musk, who I'm I'm not sure what to think of him exactly. He takes so many government uh, handouts and stuff like that. But uh, he came out recently. He's obviously a very smart guy. And he came out recently and said he unschools his kids. So essentially, there is no school. Uh, they don't even homeschool. So homeschooling is more like you have a curriculum still and you sit down with your kids and you make them go through everything. Unschooling is you don't have any plan. Uh, you just live life. Uh, and it actually works out amazing because kids want to learn. Uh, what they don't want to do is be forced to learn things they don't want to learn. Uh, so when, when, when I was younger, for example, uh, I didn't like math at all. And I was forced to sit there for two hours a day in school and do all this stuff. I hated it. Uh, I And it, it made me not want to go to school. It made me not want to learn. 
Uh, whereas I was really into computers. So if, if they had a computer class, uh, actually, I probably wouldn't have even gone to that because I like to self-teach, uh, auto-dictact or whatever they call it. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, when kids want to learn, they learn amazingly fast uh, and they want to learn. They absolutely, kids are the most curious people ever. If anyone's ever had kids, you know, they're just full of questions. Uh, so unschooling is, is definitely the way to go. And peaceful parenting, as you brought up, that was something that's really been headed up a lot by a person called Stefan Molyneux, also an anarchist. Actually, Dana Martin's an anarchist as well. We're all, we're all peaceful people, uh, that believe in, in a non-initiation of violence against others. Uh, so if you're looking into, if you have a kid and you want to understand more about peaceful parenting, look up st- some of Stefan Molyneux's stuff on peaceful parenting. I think it's incredibly important. Uh, once you start to hit kids when they're younger, it really changes them. Uh, it makes them think that violence is the way to solve problems. And if we can get kids out of that, uh, that we'll have a totally much better world. Um, and uh, I think you were bringing up something else that you asked me if I wanted to comment on. Did you? Or yeah, just a couple of uh, thoughts on 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 being an anarchist and what that oh, actually means. Yes. Because yeah, because folks think you're running around with uh, <laughs> a black robe and Guy Fawkes mask. <laughs> well, sometimes we do, but not very often. But um, the uh, the word anarchy uh, just is an old Greek word. It just means an without archy ruler. And so all that means is I don't want to be ruled by somebody forcefully, violently ruled. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to be owned by somebody. And I don't want to enslave or own other people. And in that sense, it's a completely peaceful, uh, wonderful philosophy. It's an amazing philosophy. Uh, it gets skewed because the governments and the media want people to think it's dangerous because they want people to believe in government, which actually doesn't even exist. The government is a myth. It's a, it's actually a cult. It's actually a religion. Uh, it's actually the biggest religion in the world today. People have this belief in government, but if you ask them, what is government? They can't really say. Uh, they're, they'll say, well, Barack Obama. And I'll say, well, that's just a guy who's writing some stuff down. And then these other people go around and rob people and, and, and kidnap people and put people in cages. But what is government? And then they'll go, they'll point at the White House, like a building. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's this building. It's like, well, that's just a building. It's not doing anything. What is government? Uh, government, actually, the, the word, the meaning of the word is govern, control, meant is a mind. It's mind control. It's, it's a way of getting people to believe that they are, they don't own themselves and that someone rules you. And so that's all anarchists believe is that we shouldn't be owned by anyone. We should own ourselves as uh, self ownership. Uh, it, uh, amazingly enough, if you ask a lot of people, do you own yourself? They'll say yes. And then you'll say, so you, uh, why do you pay taxes? And they'll be like, well, I'm supposed to. <laughs> it's like, well, who said you're supposed to? Well, the government. Well, I thought you said you own yourself. And it's like, well, no, I want to. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> you definitely don't want to. I, I've never met anyone who wants to. It's, it's, it's mind control. It's, it's programming. And so that's all anarchy is. And so that's why they always want to make it look really bad. So whenever anything happens, a riot happens, someone breaks a window, they go, anarchists uh, broke out into a riot today. And some of the people who did it might be anarchists, but they might be kind of a different kind of anarchist than I am. It's usually what they call an anarcho communist uh, these people are very confused. I think they got the philosophies mixed up. They're, they're essentially mostly just communists, really. Uh, so they, they think they believe there shouldn't be a government, but they think everyone should be communist, and they want to force everyone to be communist. But you can't force everyone to be communist without a government, so they're not really anarchists. Uh, so I, that's why I often call myself an anarcho-capitalist, to make sure people understand I'm not like the anarcho-communists, uh, and that uh, I, I just believe that uh, we should all own ourselves. No one should violently rule us. 
uh, and that markets all and, and the capitalist part that's another word that's been totally skewed capitalism just means the uh, free and voluntary uh, trade between parties uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that in fact that's how we have such a great world today with all this technology and all this we have food and, and most of it, hardly anyone's starving all thanks to capitalism but they've skewed that word too now because they want to make people think that what they have in the US today is capitalism which is really bad that's actually a mix between fascism and socialism and communism combined with a police state uh, so they want people to think that's capitalism so they fight against that uh, that's actually corporatism uh, that's a better word for or uh, capitalism really uh, it's uh, just um, uh, but true capitalism is just voluntary trade so uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and I believe in that so I, I believe essentially that we should all be uh, own ourselves no one should have the right to rule us and that we should all be able to trade freely amongst ourselves that's essentially what I believe. Fantastic. Jeff, how can my audience learn more about you, the Dollar Vigilante, Anarchost, and all the other projects you're involved in? Sure. If you're interested in the financial economics sort of side, just go to dollarvigilante.com. If you just put your email right on the front page, we'll send you – I send out uh, daily a uh, blog writing about these things. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel for Dollar Vigilante. It's just the Dollar Vigilante, all one word on YouTube. I put out a, almost a video a day on there. I'm incredibly <laughs> just uh, working constantly. I also have the world's largest uh, anarcho-capitalist podcast called Anarchast. That's A-N-A-R-C-H-A-S-T. Uh, you can find that on YouTube. Uh, that's the best way to find it. Uh, we interview anarchists from around the world. We've interviewed almost 300 now. Amazing people uh, talking about all these sort of things that we've been talking about here. Uh, and then um, uh, as well, we also have our, our largest uh, narco-capitalist conference in the world, Anarchopoco, hard to spell, A-N-A-R-C-H-A-P-U-L-C-O.com. Uh, and that's coming up at the end of February in 2017. So if you're interested in any of that, check them out. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, I had a blast. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing so much value and all your insights with uh, my listeners. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining me and my guest, Jeff Berwick. Remember to grab your free book download from Audible. You can download any book for free when you try Audible for 30 days. You can grab your free trial and audiobook download at cashflowninja.com forward slash free book download. And remember to sign up for the free webinar that my friend Manish Bindi from Gold Silver for Life is hosting, Three Steps to Cashflow Gold and Silver. Manish is showing people how to use their gold and silver holdings to create income streams. You can register for the webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash gold silver webinar. And of course, you can access all of our past shows and show notes at cashflowninja.com and sign up for a community by texting the word Cashflow Ninja, one word, all capitalized to 44222. That's two fours and three twos. If you sign up to join our community, I will email you three of the top 10 books ever written on building wealth. If there's any way that I can provide more value to you and serve you better, please go to our contact page and send me an email or leave me a voicemail on our SpeakPipe voicemail line. That's our show, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. 
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.